Hey everybody, Michael Cohen here, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Cohen's Corner. As always, you can find episodes of this podcast available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you listen to shows. If you happen to be listening on an Apple device, we encourage you to leave a star rating, preferably five stars if you like the show, and let us know what you think. The more exposure we get on Apple, the higher up their algorithms we go, which makes it easier to generate listeners, and then I have an easier time trying to track down some guests. For those of you who have already done it, I really appreciate it. I read all the reviews, I see all the comments, and it really warms my heart, brings a little bit of a smile to my face for those of you that have let me know how much you enjoy the show and and that you enjoy listening each week. That does mean a lot to me. So be sure to spread the word to family, friends, anybody who's a football fan that might enjoy our programming, and we'll keep this going for as long as we can. Today's episode is a fun one. Um, For listeners who remember me from Green Bay, I'm sure you remember the subject. He was a cornerback for the Green Bay Packers, drafted in the second round in 2012. That is Casey Hayward. He is now a star for the Los Angeles Chargers. He played out his rookie deal in Green Bay, then signed with the Chargers in free agency, quickly became one of the best corners in the league, right up there in the top five, top ten, depending on who you ask. He was named second-team All-Pro in 2016 and second-team All-Pro again in 2017, by far one of the premier corners in the league in the prime of his career right now on a defense that could be the best in the NFL this coming season, certainly from a secondary standpoint with all the talent that they have on the back end. We talked about all kinds of stuff on this podcast, from what it was like to be drafted by the Packers, to learning from guys like Charles Woodson, and on the other side of the ball, Greg Jennings, and Jordy Nelson, and Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams, what the interplay was like on offense and defense among corners and receivers, as they had some of the the most talent in the league and on both sides when he came into the NFL in 2012. We talked about how how that dynamic shifted, and now with the Chargers, he's the leader in the room. He's the guy teaching the young guns, and one of the guys back there in the secondary, Derwin James, he considers the best safety in the league, and he'll explain why Derwin is such a unique and special individual and what they do out there in Gus Bradley's defense. We ended with some fun stuff, talking about some of his favorite interceptions, and I think my favorite segment on the whole podcast series I've had so far, which is him talking about the behind-closed-doors secret pickup basketball games that the Green Bay Packers had because there is a full basketball court inside Lambeau Field. So find out what it was like when they had multiple Division I basketball players on the football roster playing five-on-five against some other guys that are just really, really good pickup players. Lots of fun details there. So without further ado, let's get into an hour-long conversation with Los Angeles Chargers cornerback Casey Hayward. Well, Casey, thank you very much for joining me. I know this is a uh, a time where everyone is is trying to figure out what to to do with their day while they're staying at home and trying to stay safe during the coronavirus and everything that's going on right now. I know that your team, the Chargers, was one of the teams that that started a virtual off season program. So I got to ask you first, what has that been like? Uh, uh, you know, the first week is pretty light. You know, we just go over some stuff. My coach makes uh, uh to get better, to get better tape, and this week we we are reviewing that. So, I meet with him tomorrow to review some of the get better things, you know, that he wants me to get better at for next year. Is it uh is it the type of thing where a lot of it is up to the players to continue with their training and things and and dedication to the off season program is what's going to separate the guys that come back in shape and the guys that don't. I guess. Uh, I think the hardest part is, you know, managing that and, you know, looking into that because, you know, OTAs, we all be together most of the time. So 
we all kind of do the same running and type things like that. So now you got to get with you and your trainer, you know, and do some other things on your own. This is a, a week where finally some football fans will, will have something to watch. You and I are recording this on Wednesday afternoon. It'll come out after the draft. But, you know, I remember back in, in 2012 when, you know, obviously you got that call at number 62 overall from the Green Bay Packers. What do you remember about draft weekend and, and kind of the excitement of that moment? Man, definitely exciting, especially for the young people that's going to get drafted. And even some of the guys that are going to be, you know, free agents that are going to be making teams or trying out for teams. But I remember those, remember those times. You just all nervous because you don't know where you're going to go. You just hoping you go as high as possible into the right team, into the right fit. And um, I went to a great organization, you know, at the right pick. Well, you know, supposed to be for me. And it was in the second round towards the end. But I enjoy every moment of my process from. On working out for the combine to, you know, individual workouts with teams, I enjoyed it all. But I think, you know, I just tell all the guys to embrace the moment because this only happened one time. I had Sage Rosenfels on, the former journeyman cornerback, a uh, quarterback, excuse me, a couple of weeks ago, and he was sort of explaining what it was like to go through the combine in a year that had Michael Vick in the combine, they had Drew Brees in the combine, a lot of quarterbacks at the top of that class that went on to do some great things. The cornerback class that year in 2012 was was really strong, and the guys that were with you or ahead of you in terms of draft standing were Morris Claiborne, Stephon Gilmore, Dre Kirkpatrick, and Janoris Jenkins. How did you feel about yourself? When when you were at the combine or thinking about how you compared or stacked up to those guys, or did you try and push those thoughts out of your head at all? You you know, as a human being, you compare yourself and look at things to compare yourself to. Um, all those guys, you know, that went before me, we that was all SEC guys. Sure. So I got to see those guys, those four guys that's from the SEC. So I got to, compete against those guys each and every week, you know, from from trying to make all SEC teams and things like that to all American teams. Those were the guys that were all on the list. We all were on the list, so you always got to compete with them. And then when you get drafted, you know, all of us are still playing. So we're about to be going on nine years, all the guys you just named. So you kind of compare yourself to those guys now and still try to, you know, see where you're at, see where you you know, you rank yourself nasty, you know, the, all the accolades you've put together and all the good seasons you put together. And um, to be still in the game going on year nine is, you know, amazing for all of us guys. Do you think the the idea of the school that you went to matters at all when it comes to scouts and general managers and things? In other words, if you had the exact same tape and the exact same stats and measurables from college, but you went to Alabama or there's a guy that goes to a smaller school from a smaller conference, do you think it matters at all, even though maybe it, it, it shouldn't, the school itself? I'm going to say both. I'm going I'm to jump on the fence with it. Okay. Uh, I would say... You know, it definitely matters a little bit. Um, I do feel – I played in that conference, so I was in the top of the line conference, and um, I made a lot of intercession, a lot of plays. So I think that what did help me is I got to go against the top guys in the conference, in the you know, in the nation, because there's a lot of guys that got drafted that I went against uh, receiver-wise. But I do feel like um, – 
not taking anything away from the the guys that got drafted before me because sure. those guys are re- were really good players. You know, more more Claiborne, he was really good at LSU. Stephon was really good at South Carolina, and Drake Carpatch at Alabama, and um, Janoris Jenkins at Florida. You know, all those guys were really good, but I my numbers were just as good as those guys. You know what I mean? So. Um, I guess that, you know, since my number was just as good as old guys, I think my number was better than old guys. But uh, I did go to a, one of the smaller schools in the, in the conference, you know. Um, but I don't know. It's it definitely a little harder because I was in that conference. I got drafted pretty high, you know, in the second round. And we all were really good players in that conference. But <clears throat> I say for the smaller schools, maybe. Uh, especially at this point, I would say this, maybe not as much as when I was there until today because, you know, um, I want to say those guys didn't get a pro day. Right. A lot of those small, a lot of the small schools didn't get a pro day. So only thing scouts got are, you know, is film. And, you know, sometimes you won't come up on the radar unless you go and kill it at the combine or kill it at a pro day. You know, so teams can go back and reevaluate your film. So, you know, I think it's harder for those guys now, you know, especially in this draft because those guys didn't get to come by. I work out at this gym up here, and these, it was some smaller school guys working out for the, you know, for their pro day, and they never got to do it. One of the things that, that I always thought, you know, separated you from a lot of the other players I talked to, and, and you know this, is is that you've always been labeled a, a very intelligent football player. And not only just in terms of your understanding of the game, but also your ability to grab schematics and X's and O's. I'm curious, when you went through the pre-draft process and you're meeting with teams at the Combine or, you know, guys are talking to you at a pro day and they're quizzing you and they're asking to questions to try and get a better read of your knowledge of the game, were you aware even back then at a young age that you understood the game pretty well? And, and on the flip side of that, you know, I'm sure you've come across teammates that maybe the mental side of the game is a little harder for them. How, how kind of nervous or, or scared would, would guys be coming into the league if they don't have a, a firm grasp on schematics and X's and O's? Uh, definitely. When I was coming, I was, you know, I was a film junkie, so I kind of knew how to study film. You know, even when I was in, um, you know, in college, so I kind of broke that down and learned how to do that on my own. And when I was going through the process, I met with several teams, had to get on the chalkboard and things like that. And I remember Joe Whitney on my DB coach when I was in Green Bay. He told me he was like, "Yo, you had the second best interview I ever did." You know, you had the second best interview I ever did. Did you ask him who was first? Uh. It was a corner from Alabama. Uh, is it uh, Javi? Uh, Twenty. He played. He won a uh, Natty. That he was a little older than me. Uh, Javier. Javier Arenas. Yeah, I think it was him. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He played. With, I think he ended and, up with the Patriots for a little while. Yeah. So he said him. Uh, but I, I was a student of the game, so I know my exes and O's, and I think it still, you know, it helps to the day. Uh, but. I think the more reps you get, the game slow down for you. And I tell young guys just to go in there and try to get underneath the vet, you know, the vet wings and try to learn because it's definitely hard, especially coming in, especially from my position. I think it's a hard position to come in and just play right away because it, 
you know, they throw you in the fight. You're going against some of the best wide receivers and the best quarterbacks you're going to ever play. Yeah, and I mean, you come into a room where, in the DB room, there's Tremont Williams, Sam Shields, Devon House, Jarrett Bush, and oh, yeah, some guy named Charles Woodson, who's kind of playing a little bit right. of everything in the back of the secondary. So one of the things that I always found interesting when I talk to young guys is kind of asking them who became their veteran or who was the guy that they kind of gravitated toward or gravitated toward them to help them along as a rookie. So who was your guy? Who was who your go-to player or veteran that could help you in that room? Shaman. I'm going to go with Shaman. That's my guy. Uh, Shaman Williams, man. Uh, I got to go underneath his wing. Uh, I got to study. I got to see how he studies, see how he break down film, see how he practice, see how he play the game. And, um, you know, I would stay I would stay with him after, you know, I would stay with him after practice sometimes and go and watch film just to see how he study and break down film. And that's why Shaman's still playing this game to the day. You know what I mean? I think he going on like year fifteen, which is crazy. Yeah, he's thirty seven years I, old. <laughs> yeah, and I just and I just knew how he took care of his body. He, he ate well, he stretched, he was one of the most athletic guys when I was there, and he's still playing at a high level. And um I would say I give my hats off to Shaman just showing me the ropes and doing things like that. And I try to do the same thing with the younger guys, you know, now because I knew somebody did it for me and I wanna do it for them. No matter and I and I also know this is a business, so I know guys coming in, you know, to to win jobs and things like that. But Chamon didn't look at it like that. He looked at it like I want to help you. I want to help you guys, you know, become better. How about the other side of the ball? You know, there was a lot of talent in that DB room, but you look at that wide receiver room, and there was still Donald Driver, there was still Greg Jennings, James Jones, Jordy Nelson. There's a healthy Jermichael Finley who was split out a lot as kind of like a receiver, and Randall Cobb was there too. Was there a guy on the other side of the ball that helped you a lot? Because obviously you're competing against each other in practice, but at the end of the day you're teammates, and I know DBs and receivers can help each other a lot. I'd probably go Randall. Randall and uh, probably Devontae. Rondell and Devontae, I played, I was against them most of the time, especially like when I was younger. I was in the slot a lot. Yep. Um, so I got to go against those guys. And then A-Rod, you know, the quarterback, I try to pick his brain as much as I can, see what he saw here and things like that. So I'll probably just go at those three. Those guys, you know, showed me some really good looks, um, you know, from from the releases to, you know, what, what they what they thinking here. And different like that. So I ask them like, when I'm on this leverage, what do you see? What are you working on? What 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 are you trying to beat? And things like that. And those guys will tell me because we're teammates, obviously. And I tell them vice versa. That's what I'm looking for. If I see them do something, I ain't and I ain't like, I'd be like, look, that's why I think you should do it, and vice versa. So uh, those guys, I'll probably go with those three guys. Help me the most, especially on that side of the ball. I think one of the the factors that sometimes gets overlooked a little bit when it comes to the development of young players is how important the relationship is going to be between that player and their position coach. And whether that position coach is better or worse than other position coaches, whether the player and the position coach maybe don't get along as well, those are really, really important factors, I think, in terms of how quickly or slowly a rookie progresses. Now, there's other factors as well, but why do you think Joe Witt was so good and has been so good for some younger corners that have come up through the league and and why does he remain somebody that has been an important resource for you uh you know what joe is a great coach he knows the excellent knows and um that's what i really you know liked about him um he wasn't just like hey everybody do this 
work on this technique. Everybody do the same thing. He know every corner is going to be different. You got your six two corners, six foot corners, and you got your shorter corners. You know what I mean? So everybody can't do the same thing. So he was like, listen, whatever you are really good at, let's, you know, let's protect this and let's work on this and do this. You know what I mean? You got your fast guys like Sam Shields. He wants you to press. Like, hey, this your best as- asset. Press. Work on this. Do this. And me, he's like, hey, you got to mix it up. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I think that's the thing that, you know, when I was coming up, Joe was like, look, we're going to let you work on your game and be you. We're not going to ask you to be Devon House. We're not going to ask you to be Sam Shields. We're going we're gonna to see what's best, worst for you, and we're going to go with it. And I've seen coaches do it the opposite. Like, look, everybody's going to do this, and that's what we're going to do. You know what I mean? Everybody's going to do this. And I think, you know, obviously Joe's done a really good job with some of the younger guys. You got the guys that are there now that was under Joe that's doing really well for themselves, that's been doing really good. And I'm pretty sure, you know, he's going to do the same thing with the Falcons now. I took my hat off to Joe because Joe, you know, did a really good job with me. You know, not just when I was a rookie, all the way to my fourth year. Joe was one of those stand-up guys. He was one of the guys that said, hey, look, this, he's going to tell you exactly how it is. Listen, this who's playing the best in camp. We're going to keep up with the numbers. This who's playing the best. Whoever playing the best is going to start. So we're going to keep these numbers and we're going to tell you that this is going to start. And it don't matter who it was. That's what it was, and he's going to keep it 100 with you. He's going to tell you if, if, if upstairs is telling you different things, look, that's what it's going to be, but that's what I think. So he's going to keep it 100 with you, and that's what I like about Joe. Yeah, I remember he was he was explaining to us one time, the reporters in Green Bay, talking about kind of this like grading system that he had for every play in training camp where not only was it, you know, a plus or a minus or whatever, whatever, um, you know, items he used to denote a good play and a bad play, but he also then kind of put a weight on the play. So what I mean by that is if Casey Hayward makes an amazing play in a one-on-one and Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback and Jordy Nelson was the receiver, it will that exactly. And did did that help you guys like understand and motivate and things like that? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, uh, it's kind of how you do tiers, you know what I mean? You do tiers. This is a tier, you know, wide receivers on this team. You know what I mean, you got the Jordy Nelsons, the Ronte Adams, and the Ronald Carr is going to be the, the tier one. Then you got, you know, not saying any other names, but the guys underneath them are going to be tier sure. two, tier three. And if you're beating if and if you're beating the tier threes, he's thinking you're supposed to beat them. You know what I mean? So those those guys you're probably going to be throwing with the third quarterback. So if you make a play on them, it's not as impressive to him. Gotcha. But then when you go up and do it against the Jordy and Devontae and the A-Rod, like, okay, now you're getting an extra three points here because you're doing it against the guys that are going to go out there and start and go out there and win games for us. And I've, I've, I've seen that on both sides and I've been, since I've been on the Chargers too. I've seen, I heard wide receiver coaches say, look, if you catch a ball on him, you're supposed to. You're not getting no claps from me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, right. We, it goes both ways, and that that was the you know the scale that he put out there, and you know I respect that scale and everybody, and then also everybody got the chance to go against the you know the tier one guys type things. 
Yeah, I, I think one of the, the, the reasons why Joe was a, a favorite among the media members there was because he was really good at explaining kind of his rationale behind why he did things. And that's not to say other coaches didn't have rationale. Joe was just a little bit more forthcoming and I think a little bit more open about his process. And, and I found it to be really interesting. And, and so, you know, you mentioned that whether you're a rookie or a veteran or somewhere in the middle, everybody's going to get a chance. And, and soon enough, you know, you're playing 16 games as a rookie and had one of the stronger rookie seasons for a corner in quite a while. So what was going through your mind? You've been in the league for about, oh, I don't know, maybe six months by this point, if you go back to the draft. And all of a sudden, in the span of three games, you have four interceptions as a rookie in weeks five, six, and seven. What did that feel like? Oh, man, it was amazing. Just to, you know, your coach gave you the confidence that you can go out here and make these plays. And then you also got, you know, players like Tremont, Sam, House, all of them giving you, you know, you know, hoping that you're doing well because, you know, if you're doing well, it's helping the team. You know what I mean? So to go in there and be able to, you know, perform as a rookie, you know, with a lot of pressure, you know, again, you know, with an organization that you're supposed to win with. Um, it was great because, you know, my coach gave me the utmost confidence and then the players also. So, you know, anytime you can get the uh, confidence of your coaches and your players, you know, your your game starts, you know, elevating, and you also, the game starts slowing down for you. How much do you remember about your first career interception, which was against Andrew Luck? Oh, I didn't know who it was against, but now I remember that interception for sure. <laughs> With, uh, I think it was in, we was I remember it now. It was in man-to-man. And, um... Somehow I ended up being on Reggie Wayne, some kind of strange way, because <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be on him. Okay. I think the way that the way that they came out, and it, I think it confused me and Tremont, like uh, who we gonna get, and we just had to get on somebody right away. You know what I mean? Because I think he was supposed to be going with him, but it just so happened we got confused, and I had to jump on him. And I remember him running like an out and up wheel route, and I didn't bite on the out. And Got the ball and picked the ball. It was like I was happy about getting my first one. So, it's, I think the hardest one is getting your first one. That's what I tell people throughout the season. Like, hey, if I if you get one real early in the season, you might have a good season with interception. <laughs> well, you had you had two more the week later, and another one the week after that, and you got Matt Schaub, T.J. Yates, and Sam Bradford. Um, I don't know if there was a point in there along the way, but. I got to think that out of all the things that could happen to a young corner, if there's anything that proves, okay, I can play in this league, it's got to be a stretch like that, right? Oh, uh, for sure. Oh, uh, sure, definitely. Uh, especially against some, you know, some good teams, some good players, uh, things like that. So, you know, I'll, you know, give you some confidence that you can play at this level and hopefully play at this level for a long time. Um, so I'm blessed to be going on year nine now. Um, nobody, I couldn't, I never knew how many years I'd play. I was hoping I can get a lot in, but never thought I'd be here. So hopefully I can play maybe three, four more. So what's, um, what's one of the parts of your game that you're really proud of the way that it's developed as a product of the amount of work that you put in on that particular skill or trait? Probably man to man, probably man to man. Just working on my man to man, press man to man. I kind of got away from it this past year, um, some. Uh, so that's that's the aspect of my game. Um, 
going back to work on again to lock back in and get back in my man-to-man press, you know, mode and try to lock back in and get back to that level that I was playing with it. But I'll probably say just man-to-man developing over the years. And, um, you know, teams giving me a lot of respect. I don't get as many balls. You know, the last three, four years, I haven't got as many balls as I, you know, as I normally would or normally have. So I think, you know, the respect teams give me, the respect players give me. I come out the field, you know, after games, I have other cornerbacks from other teams come up to me and be like, yo, I respect your game and quarterbacks and wide receivers and things like that. So they always feel, you know, especially when, you know, other people recognize your game. So what was the... How did you take off, you know, because you obviously had a, a good and, and solid run in Green Bay, but then you go to San Diego, and I know your role was a little bit different, so maybe that's going to be part of your answer, but all of a sudden, you know, you vault into maybe the top five, six, seven corners in the league, you make a couple of all-pro teams, which would put you in the top four in those particular years, so what changed, or what clicked, or or what happened that you just vaulted to a different level than you had played at previously? Uh I don't know. I don't know. Probably, I felt like my first, when I was in Greenwood, my first and my third year, I played at a really good level because I missed my second year. Right. And then my fourth, and then, so my first, that first and my third year, I played, played really well, I felt like. And then my fourth year in Green Bay, so I just kind of break it down. Then my fourth year in Green Bay, I had broke my foot. I had broke my foot and I had to have surgery in the, in the off season. So I never could get back into like form until like midway through the season. Got it. But it wasn't like I was just playing terrible. It was just like, you know, I'm just, I'm just playing it so I can get back into my right form. So I was doing things that, you know, would just get me by. So I wasn't trying to get beat. I wasn't trying to do anything, you know. I, obviously, I was out there trying not to get beat instead of making plays. So I wasn't getting a lot of targets. I wasn't getting beat like that. It just was I wasn't trying to make a lot of plays because I wasn't trying to get beat because I was still injured. You know, not injured. I wasn't injured anymore. I was healed, but it takes time, you know, coming off your lower legs and things like that to get back in rhythm. And I finally got in the rhythm probably around mid-season. Then I started playing a little better. Towards, you know, as the season got going, so probably just being you know super healthy. I haven't missed I haven't missed a game in shoot seven years. It's that's impressive. That's impressive. Six years, six years, six years straight. I haven't missed a game. Knock on so, wood. All right, knock knock on wood. I haven't missed a game in six years, and um, I think that that's the thing. Just being healthy and being confident. I haven't, I haven't had one of those injuries where I'm like, yo, I I just want to get by. Right. You know, I'm out here trying to, trying to win and try to compete each and every week because I want to be, you know, known as, you know, some of the best that's playing. And that's what I've been trying to do these last, you know, four years since I've been there, uh, just trying to get some respect and, you know, people have been recognizing it. And that's, that's my whole goal is just trying to be the best. And, um, each and every week, and that's what I'm trying to do this year as well. So because you ended up going to the Chargers, I have to ask how often Phillip Rivers or Keenan or any of those guys brought up that game in 2015 from your last season in Green Bay where I remember in the locker room after the game, you know, Phillip Rivers had thrown for a lot of yards, and 
and uh, and I can't remember if somebody asked you how many yards that you thought he threw for or something, or we told you the number, and you just couldn't believe it because in that game, you guys won. That's important to point out, 27-20 Packers, but he threw for 505 yards and two touchdowns, and the game ended on a fourth down play where Demarius Randall is a rookie, Demarius, breaks yeah. up that pass. So did that ever come up again? Did Phillip ever mention it or Keenan Allen? Yeah, who... yeah, we talked about it. We talked about it a couple times. Okay. We talked about it a couple times. Because especially in my uh, first year there, we talked about uh, how they was lighting us up, but they couldn't put any points up. Exactly. They got a lot of field goals. You got a lot of field goals. And I always talked about that. Because Gates would talk about, like, he caught a ball on me and stuff like that. And then I just talked about, but did y'all win? Like, <laughs> type stuff like that. I'm like, y'all didn't win, though. It don't even matter. The like, ultimate comeback. I said, y'all put up all these, you know, yards and stuff and couldn't complete it. Y'all keep a lot of field goals that game, you know. <laughs> and then talked about with Keenan because Keenan got hurt that game, but Keenan was going crazy. Yeah, I got the numbers here. So he left with six it, minutes left yeah. in the third. So that's a full quarter and almost half of another quarter. And at that point, he had 14 catches for 157 yards. Yeah, he was gonna probably he was gonna break the record. <laughs> yes, it was it was ridiculous. <laughs> he was gonna break the record. What what he makes him what makes record. him so good? Man, he can do everything. Like, people always say he's not that fast, but he do enough to get open. You know what I mean? He's fast enough to get open. And you press him, and he's going he gonna to kill you at the line of scrimmage. Him and Devontae very similar at the line of scrimmage. But I think Devontae just got a little bit more straight line speed, just a little more. Okay. And I like, so Devontae just probably got a little bit more straight line speed, but Keenan run better routes all the way through. You know what I mean? Like, better routes all the way through. And Devontae right there with him with the rocks and things like that. Sure. So Devontae probably a little better straight line, and I think Keenan probably a little better, you know, running routes. But both of them probably very similar at the line of scrimmage, so it's hard to touch them. And that's why both of those guys have been excelling, you know, these last four or five years at a high level. Those guys, top five receivers in this, in this league, you know, more give or take, whoever you want to put in, whoever you want to take out. But not too many people are better than those guys. Those I put all guys on my top five each and every week. What's what's harder to play against as a corner? A receiver that has, you know, four three speed and can just blow it out of the stadium like he's on a track, or a guy that might be a little bit slower but has impeccable releases off the line? Oh, I'm gonna go with this. It just depends on who the guy is. Okay. If you're going if you're going against uh Devontae Adams, uh Keenan Allen, Odell, those type of guys. Those guys are hard to guard because, you know, those guys run routes. You hard to touch them. Then you got the Odell where he can still take the top off so he can do everything. And then you go against a, a Tyree Hill who can take the top off. So it's hard. And then people just sleep on Tyree Hill routes. He runs really good routes. So he's one of those guys you're like, uh, what do I do? Yeah, and, that, and that's a guy you see twice a year now. Yeah, he can do everything. So my my job is when I'm going against them is just to slow them down and you know you know I try to play mind games and you got to think I'm here and I'm be there you got to think we in this coverage be in that coverage so you kind of got to play with him and the quarterback but those guys been doing a great job over these last couple of years that's why they won the Super Bowl. I talked to a coach that uh, his name was Dave McGinnis. He was the coach of the Cardinals in the early 2000s. And he had a guy at corner who ended up in the Hall of Fame, Aeneas Williams. And he was talking about how Aeneas Williams 
was always a guy that he would lock up one-on-one with somebody else and have him shadow or trail the entire game. And he said that Aeneas used to tell him that on Sunday when you're out there and you're playing your 65 or your 70 snaps, that that's actually the easy part. The physical part is the easy part. It's the mental part of having to track a guy for four quarters and stay mentally tough through maybe a key third down catch that they make. And then the next play, you get a breakup and it's up and down. Would you agree that the mental part of shadowing a guy is just as difficult, if not more so than the physical part? Uh, I probably, it's up there. The mental part, I think for me, when the mental part is, is to be able to lock in for a whole full game. Right. You know what I mean, just to say, okay, I'm um, at that. We made it to the third quarter, and he got two catches. And I'm like, but we got another two quarters. What am I going to do in these two quarters? I got to do the same thing I did the first two quarters. Because you could shut somebody down in the first first half, and then the next half, you have eight catches. And you're like, damn, I was doing good in the first quarter. Right. In the first half, what happened? And then you, you think about, it, like, I got laughed. I got laughed, and you're like, no, you got to find a way to lock in for it for four whole quarters, and that's what I try to do, especially when I'm in those matchups. Um, when I've had to do these matchups the last couple of years when I was following people, like, you, know, you got to lock in for four full quarters. And I think my coach, uh, you know, Ron Miles, he did a great job with me and, and our teammates to make us lock in. You know what I mean? Like, here comes the sideline, like, okay, well, you know, you ready? You ready? <laughs> like, coach, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, but he's going to make sure you're ready. Like, no, you he got two catches. You're doing a good job, but listen, we got we got two more quarters. You, you got me? I'll be like, I got you, coach. So he make you focus and make you lock back in. And be like, listen, you got to stay on your technique. And I'd be like, coach, I got it. And be like, but but he makes you lock back in. He makes you, you know, make sure you're not, you know, being last out there. Yeah, because, I mean, the thing about your game is that if if you, you know, if you drop off mentally for half a second, it's seven points in this league. That's how good guys are, right? Listen, yeah, and I and I've had and I've had those moments, you know, in the last year, you know, you know, as a player, you have those moments. You just try to have them as many times, and, you know, not as many games or not many moments, and hopefully teams don't catch your moments where you're lacking. One of the things that I really uh, respected about Tremont during my time in Green Bay when he was there was that. I thought he was one of the better guys that I saw up close. Now, again, Green Bay was the team that I was covering, so I didn't see every corner. But I thought he did a really good job of if he gives up a catch or if he gives up a first down or you know if he gives up a touchdown, I thought he did a really good job of not really letting that, at least visibly, affect him on the next series or the next play or whatever. Is that something that comes with maturity? Because I feel like if I was a young guy in the league and I gave up a touchdown, I would be down on myself the next series, and I feel like that's a dangerous trap you can fall into. I mean, I, it definitely comes with maturity, but I think it comes with, you know, the more you play this game. I I was a starter in the SEC for three years, you know what I mean? So you're going to get beat. So you got to come with that mindset of like, okay, next play. But you also got to have some players and some coaches that that's okay with that too, that going to say, hey, it's okay, let's go to the next one. And then to make you realize, like, okay, I'm back. Like, it's it's okay. They can catch a ball. I just got to be ready for the next play, type things like that. But Tremont definitely did a great job. Like I said, that's why he was one of those guys that I looked up to when I first came to the league. Like, dang, that's how he carried himself. Like, it's how he come to the sidelines, he'd be like, dang, he beat me. All right. Then you'll see him the next play, he's going to go out there, and he might make an interception or make, make a fair break, or he'd be like, oh, he back. 
And that's the type of guys you want on your team from guys that you know it's going to be some adversity throughout the game or throughout the throughout the uh, the season. You need those guys that you know strive on strive under those you know circumstances. You you've had the opportunity to play on some teams that won a lot of games, and you've had an opportunity to play on some teams that that lost a lot of games in a season. And you also were part of a couple years in Green Bay where your personal performance was really strong, but maybe the defense as a whole wasn't as strong in certain games. What is it like, and how challenging is it to keep um, your focus and and as much intensity and effort during a season that, for whatever reason, maybe just isn't going the way that the team hoped it would? Yeah, I think. As an individual, I think when I was watching, you know, the the Michael Jordan documentary the other day, and there was on a restriction like 14 minutes for him. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And they, you could tell that they they were trying to lose the game. They were trying to lose the game. And my like, it's only 30 more seconds. I should be playing this game. Like we're trying to win. We're gonna make it to the playoffs if we win. And like they really want to lose that game. They end up winning, but. That thing was all about, like, no matter who's out there and when I'm out there, you're trying to win. So you need those guys. You need those kind of worry guys, no matter, you know, the down or the, you know, the good or the bad. You try to go out there and win those games. And I feel like we got some of those guys on our team that no matter what, they're going to give you 100%. And um, and I think that's what it's about. No matter you, how you're performing or how your team performing, you try to win your matchups and you try to win win the game no matter who you're playing against. You could be playing the best team or the worst team, you know, percentage-wise, but you want to go out there and win those games because you just never know. You got the bad teams come in and spank good teams all the time. Yeah, that's that's really true, and I think the NFL is one of those sports where because you guys only play 16 games during the season, each one matters you know, more than one game does in an 82-game NBA schedule or a 162-game baseball schedule. So that, to me, was always really fascinating because, like, you know, coaches spend so much time on their game plan, and then, you know, if they lose, it's like, oh, my gosh, this week, all this that we poured into it, it's a loss, and that brings us one game closer to missing the playoffs. The highs and the lows in the NFL, I think, are so fascinating because there are so few actual games. And, and one of the more interesting seasons that I was part of was that 15 season, your last year in Green Bay, because there were some games where the defense was was excellent, and then there were some games where, as you know, the defense really struggled. And, you know, Dom Capers was the defensive coordinator that year, and, you know, whether you guys tried to avoid social media or not, he was getting, you know, just ripped apart by fans and, and members of the media and things on Twitter. So one of the things that I always respected about Dom, and I know you'll, you'll back me up on this, is he's probably one of the most gentlemanly and classy guys that I've come across in the NFL in terms of always doing things the right way, and always handling himself as a professional. So what is it like to to see that your coach is, is definitely on the hot seat and knowing that that guy is really busting his tail and doing everything he can? It's it's just not working. You know, and, that, and, that's, and it, it goes back to the players as well. Like when I was just talking about the wins and the losses, and no matter if you're doing well or not, I think last year, you know, as a team with the Chargers, we wasn't we wasn't winning the games. We wasn't winning the close games. But on the back end, we was you know you pick you put up our numbers against other defenses or other secondaries. We had a top five secondary in the league last year. Right. But you won't never know because we was losing games. So our thing was like, okay, we're not we're losing games, but let's do what we can do. 
let's go out here and, you know, lock these guys up and hold them, you know, minimize the yards, minimize them, you know, uh, to points and things like that and let the chips fall because you just never know. Each each year is going to be different. Each year they can look for a different coach. And if you and if you like your coach, you want to win for your coach. You want to have the best stats for your coach. And that's how we were. We, we were like, look, we ain't winning, you know, too many games, but we, we're in every game. And we need to be a reason that we're going to be in the games and we need to be the reason that we're going to win these games. And I think, you know, as a whole, especially in our secondary, we came together and we was like, hey, let's try to, let's try to be the reason and not the why. With the, the group that you guys are building in San Diego, I remember, you know, after the Chris Harris news, a big free agent signing for you guys, I texted you and I said, wow, that's a that's a big piece. And you guys already had a talented secondary anyway. I've, I've talked to you in the past about how highly you think of, of Derwin James, and obviously you're there. Desmond has been an all-pro player. Chris Harris has been a three-time all-pro player. Uh, Nasir Adderley was a high draft pick, and, and Rayshon Jenkins is a, a solid veteran presence. I mean, I know that there's a lot up in the air right now in terms of what football is going to look like in the fall with everything going on related to the coronavirus, but how exciting is that group that you guys have out there right now? Oh, man, super exciting, especially on paper. we we got, we got a lot of guys coming back. Um we are returning five starters in our secondary. Yep. So that is, you know, that don't normally happen. You got me, Michael Davis, uh, Derwin, uh, Rayshon Jenkins, and you get Desmond. So that's five of us coming back. That's played a lot of football in this league. And um, then you add a, you add another veteran like uh, Chris Harris, who's been a starter, you know, in this league who's been all pro, who's won the Super Bowl. You had a guy like that with a lot of veteran, you know, savvy that's going to come to this secondary. Hopefully he can help us, you know, hope he can help us come in here in jail and we all play good together. And uh, that, that that's the whole thing. I think we're going to jail together and, you know, try to make a run. Because I think we got all the pieces. We got a really good defense and we got some really, we got a really good offense, you know. I don't think we can do it, but hope it all comes together when this draft comes and we see how that goes. But, you know, as a, as a secondary, I think we, we got all the tools, we got all the players, you know, in line to make a run and be a really good secondary. And I think our whole goal is to be the number one secondary in the league. I feel like we got the pieces, but, you know, the coach, the coaching staff is coming together. Um, we, we're, we're, we're installing and doing things like that. So hopefully we can all come together and all work out. Derwin was one of those players that when he was coming out of the draft received a, a lot of praise for you know good reason given what he had accomplished in college and so I remember I talked to you you helped me out with a story on I think it was Jair Alexander I was asking you about a couple of years ago and, and you had talked about you know just kind of shooting the breeze a little about how man Derwin is the real deal and this guy is is really really good so what is it about his game that allows him to be so influential at a young age? Man. The way he's built, he's built like nobody else. And I don't mean like his his size or things like that. His mental, his mental. He's one of those guys that like, it's never. He's never too big for any for anything. Like he's gonna listen to you. He's gonna he's gonna whatever you tell him, he's gonna take it in like a sponge. One of those guys that whatever the coach tell him, he's gonna go out there and do it on the field. And I think what separates him from most people is the way he practices. He practices hard. If you beat him in a rep, you're going to really have to beat him because he's going to always be there. He's going to tackle well. he do everything well. I think, you know, people might say I'm biased or not, but if they throw on the fence from 
his first year and then the games that he came back, I really think he is the best safety in the NFL. And that's not the advice. I've had other coaches tell me that too from other teams. So this is not the advice. I think he's the best, you know, safety in the in the NFL and I think he's gonna continue to show show guys that and um the way that he practiced and the way he played the game is the right way. How does it feel to be a corner and know that the guy behind you is, you know, possibly the best in the league at his position in terms of the guy that can help you at safety versus when you're playing and the guy behind you, maybe there was an injury and the guy isn't just isn't as good. You know, how much of a difference does it make for you? Um, it makes a, it makes a little different because I think it makes it a little different on the whole defense. Okay. Because the way that, that, that presence, you know, when he, when he was there and when he wasn't on the, on the field, it, Definitely different. It was a definitely different presence. But we got Rayshon Jenkins back there that that making hella plays for us, making a lot of plays. And um, feel so secure when he's back there. I can look back there and you can see him engaged. And he's like, "I got you. No matter what you do, I got you." You know what I mean? And I'm like, "Good. I'm just giving you the look. Like, hey, I might do this. So just be ready." And Rayshon's back there backing me. And I think early in the year we missed. We missed Derwin for maybe like ten weeks or so, and then we missed uh, AP Agent Phillip, sure, who's like one of our backbones on our defense as well. So we had two of our best defensive players missing pretty much the whole season. And when both of those guys came back, you could tell our defense, you know, shifted, and you can felt the you felt the energy and the presence of those two guys. And that's what kind of type of impact that those guys bring to our defense, and not just to me. When when they out there, I feel definitely a little bit more secure, and I feel like, hey, we we as a defense just got better. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about was was Gus Bradley. You spoke earlier about how uh, beneficial Ron Milas has been, your position coach out there, and and he was one of the guys that was actually a holdover from the Mike McCoy staff, which was let go after your first season. So you've been able to have the same position coach for you know your entire time out there, and the last three years you've had the same coordinator in Gus. Um, you know what does he bring, and and what are some of his his strengths? You think that have allowed you guys to have success defensively? Um, I, you know, what Gus brings, he brings that energy day in, day out. He's the same person no matter what. And I think that's what I love about Gus. He's going to be the same person. Um, and it, it, it wasn't, it, it hasn't always been like that. We have, I have been around coordinators that different every day. So you never know what you're going to get. But with Gus, you know exactly what you're going to get. And I think, you know, what, what he brought to our defense is simplicity. You know, not super hard. But enough, so it's gonna make the t- it's gonna make deep offenses be like, okay, what are they in? Okay, we know they run these coverages, but where where are they coming from? Where are they dropping to? What are they doing this at? So Gus is one of those staples from from the Seattle staple, and you can see a lot of teams trying to go back, you know, trying to do the things that he did when he was in Seattle, from Jacksonville to Atlanta, you know, still Seattle runs that, uh, and you know, obviously we run, we still run that same kind of you know, uh, defense, but it, people think it's that simple. But it's simple for the guys that are in the scheme because we run these coverages. We run them all the time. So, But it confused a lot of other players and it confused a lot of offenses. And that's why Gus Bradley's defenses have always been good in this league 
and we continue to be good, and hopefully we're going to be really good this year. Gus got a lot of credit for the playoff game in 2018, as did you guys in the back end for executing it so well. But the, the, the game plan that you had against Lamar Jackson, where you guys beat them in the playoffs in, in 2018, the game was actually played in January 2019, but it was the 2018 season. You win 23-17, you guys play seven DBs for the majority of the game, and you hold Lamar Jackson to 54 yards rushing. He fumbles three times, and he also throws an interception. When a coach comes to you and and their plan on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday whenever you get the game plan is, is pretty unique or pretty creative or just a little bit different than what you had been doing before, is that exciting as a player? Yeah, you just the thing about it is I always tell coaches and coaches always tell me, listen, we just come up with it. Y'all got to make these things come alive. Come alive. And that's what it's about. Like So I tell coaches, hey, coach, no matter whatever you call, we just we're gonna make you go we're gonna make you right. You know what I mean? So whatever the coach calls, it's the player's job to go out there and make them right. So if he calls zero and we look crazy like I say, Hey, he called it. Let's make let's go out here and execute it and just win. And make him look like a genius. And then, you know, some of the things we wanna we wanna run, he gonna he gonna do it because, you know, we all trust each other and I think that's the thing about, you know, Gus. He comes in, he's going to give us the utmost confidence. He's going to believe us, and no matter whatever we do, he's going to say, you got it. Let's, let's go out here and rock and go out here and, you know, execute these things. And I think that's what, you know, especially from that game plan, um, Gus did. We believed in what he had. And that game could have been even more of a blowout. We kind of, we kind of, you know, uh, let up a little bit in the in the second half in the fourth quarter because we was really blowing them out and we had a chance to execute and make that thing even worse than what it was. Yeah, it was twenty three to three for the majority of that game until the very end, and then they added a couple of scores late when when it was pretty much all but over. You know, does does a performance like that? I know some parts have changed, but does that play into um, your confidence and and your thought that that this defense going into twenty twenty can be among the best in the league when you do it like that against a guy that wins the MVP the next year is that something you guys can keep drawing on? Uh, it's just so long ago playing that he that guy's he's become an MVP he's got a lot better uh, so they're on our side so we can play them in the playoffs if it, if it happens that way so hopefully you know. You know, the guys we got coming back, the guys we got coming in can come in and help, you know, drive us to where we want to be. Obviously, we want to win, uh, we want to win the Super Bowl, and that's the whole, you know, purpose of playing this game is to go out here and try to win as many games you can to make this, you know, this Super Bowl. Uh, but we got a good division. We got a good, you know, good side of guys that won a lot of games. But we also got some guys on our team that won a lot of games and, we got some good pieces that won a lot of games that are coming in, so hopefully we can be one of those, you know, one of those teams that a lot of people are sleeping on, and we come in and win. Absolutely, I can uh, I can understand where where you're coming from on that one. I got a couple of really quick fun questions here to wrap this up. These are ones that I think will make you chuckle a little bit. So one of the stories that I never got to write in Green Bay that I always wanted to was about how competitive the pickup basketball games were that you guys played <laughs> at Lambeau Field. Now your last season there in '15, you guys had three former Division One basketball players on that team. You had Julius Peppers who played at North Carolina. You had Dimitri Goodson who was a starter for multiple seasons at Gonzaga and then you had Q Quentin Rollins in your cornerback room as well with Dimitri 
who was a starter at Miami of Ohio. I've seen videos of you dunking and playing as well, so I know you can play a little bit. How fun were some of those games? I can't even lie. Those were the days. Oh, man, it was so competitive because you got we got some the wide receivers that can play too. You got Randall Cobb who can play. Devontae Adams, who was really good. Then you got Richard Rogers, who could have played basketball in college. That's how good he is. Really? And then, yes, he's really good. He's really good. And then you got Pepper. You know what I mean? You got Demetrius and Rollins. Those guys can really play. Then you got myself, Shaman, that can really play. Shaman can really play basketball, too. Then you got Michael, who can play. So we we were like super competitive in that, which it was crazy because it was like it wasn't no slouches in there that was just playing. Everybody can play. So those games was like battles, and like you know we so ultimately competitive. Like nobody trying to let nobody win, and it's like it's like it was one of those times. Like all right, cool. Look, look, we can't go too hard, but we can't let them win. Right, right. <laughs> Because ultimately, you guys don't want to get injured, but at the end of the day, nobody wants to lose either. And nobody want to lose. I would so assume. I would assume. Yeah, and I would assume there could have been a few dollars on the line. I would think. <laughs> nah, nah, we ain't bet no money. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, were there ever any dunk contests? Because I know some of you guys are such good athletes that you guys can all throw down. Not dunk contest, but we'll go in there and we'll all be trying to dunk and do different dunks and stuff. Devontae, Devontae would win if it was a dunk contest. That was type of athletic ability he had. Gotcha. Who Who is one of the players that you wouldn't expect to be good at basketball that could actually play with you guys a little bit? Oh. Uh, it was a big man. I forgot who it was. It was a big man, though. Forgot, I forgot who he was. But one of the big guys that can that can play. Okay, okay, yeah. I, could, I mean, I the athleticism on that court is off the charts. You know, when you think about nah, some of those crazy. guys, it was crazy. I mean, when I say it was crazy, it was like, dang, a lot of people can play basketball. <laughs> a lot of people like best athletes. When you say these guys are super athletic, these guys are athletic, and that's why they playing in this league. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, the second. Oh, on my basketball, on our on our team now, though, we got some players that can really play on my team. Now. Yeah, who do you got? Uh, you got Keenan, Keenan, Mike, Mike Will, Derwin, uh, Dre Patton. Uh, you got myself, obviously Melvin Ingram. Okay. We got some players, uh, Tyrod. And I'm missing some guys that's not coming to my head that can that can really play. So we we would have a real nice basketball. <laughs> I just always wondered how anybody in Green Bay could cover Peppers because he remains. I know he's not like a, a 350 pound guy, but I still think he's like one of the biggest humans I've ever been around. You couldn't cover him. He was ducking and all type of stuff when he was still there. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And now the second fun question I had for you is if you could cover any receiver of all time and test yourself against him, who would you want to cover? Who would I want to cover? Uh, it's probably, man, probably like a, like Ocho, Chad. Maybe okay. like Chad or, Chad or like a, Chad or like a, Randy Moss type thing. I played with Randy Moss. I played against Randy Moss, but I didn't get to cover him. But yeah, he I was in San Fran, him. right? 
Yeah, not like that. Probably like a uh, Chad Ocho or like a or like one of those guys, like Randy Moss type guys. Okay, fair enough. And the last one, what's the favorite interception of your career? Favorite interception? Man, uh, probably go. See, fortunately, you're a guy where you have a lot to choose from. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to think all the way back. Uh, I'll go... I'll go game. I'll just go game because I don't know the interception. I'll go game. I'll probably go uh, probably the Texans game when I had two interceptions. Okay. I'll work here. Okay. I'll go that. I'll go that game. It was, that, was a, that was a fun game. I don't have a favorite. I don't have a favorite interception. All of them special to me. It's hard to get them. So. True. I thought, I thought maybe you'd pick one where you scored a touchdown, but, you know. I thought about it. I did think about that. I thought about the touchdown one. I was gonna go Denver when I scored a touchdown. I was gonna go Denver. Gotcha. I was trying to pick a game we won though, because it didn't matter. That's true. That's fair. That's fair. Well, oh, I'll give you another. I'll give you another. The funniest game probably was either when we played the Titans, we blew them out. They came home. They came to us. We smoked the Titans, and then we played Philly. One, we played Philly at home at Green Bay. So both of them games when I was with Green Bay, but we smoked Philly. I I picked up a fumble and scored, and I got the Lambo lead. So that was probably my funnest one. That's pretty cool. Did you get to keep the football? Yeah, I keep all of them. I might give them a few away, but normally I keep them all. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Casey, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to chat with me. This was a lot of fun, and I know fans will really enjoy it. So hopefully you enjoyed it as well. I appreciate the time, my friend. For sure, man. No problem. So there you have it, a conversation with Casey Hayward. That was a lot of fun for me. I learned a lot from that conversation. Casey was a guy who, when he was in Green Bay, was really generous with the media with his time and really explained a lot of things. And he was there when I was just coming into the league for the first time. So I relied on him for understanding a lot of different things about defense and just what it's like to play in the league, how you prepare, what it's like to face different kinds of receivers. And you heard a little bit of that in this conversation. I think my my favorite part of the show from an X's and O's standpoint was him talking about what goes through his mind when he plays different types of receivers. So you've got your route runners like your Keenan Allens and your Devontae Adams. You've got your bigger guys that are more physical and how he goes against players like that. Then you heard him talk about Tyreek Hill and what goes through his thought process in terms of containing a guy with you know track speed and, and world-class speed. All of that is really interesting, and, and these are the types of conversations, I think, that help me improve as a writer and a reporter, because then I keep these things in the back of my mind, and I can sort of write from a perspective where I have a, a little sliver of insight into what these guys are thinking about in certain situations. So thank you very much again to Casey for taking some time out of you know what amounts to his quarantine and his off-season program with the Chargers to, to speak with me. I hope you guys had a lot of fun with that episode. As always, you can find episodes of the show available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to the show. If you're listening on an Apple device, leave us a star rating. I love to see all the five-star comments. It really makes me feel good about the product and lets me know that you guys are enjoying it. So until the next episode of this podcast, I hope you guys have a terrific rest of your day, a terrific rest of your week, and I will talk to you again soon.